today on Ag News Daily. It really, the, the eggshell color has nothing to do with the nutrition of the seed. You can't influence or change the color of the eggshell itself. The afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am joining you all today from a sunny, decently warm Savannah, Georgia. This is Delaney Howell, joined as always by my co-host Mike Pearson in crappy Iowa. Yep, it is. It's not terrible <laughs> right now. There's a little bit of fog. There's no sun. There's snow kind of starting to melt-ish mm-hmm. on the ground, but there is more snow on the way. For much of our uh, our listenership across the upper Midwest, all the way up through like New England, is it going to get pounded yeah. this weekend? It sounds like. But Delaney, frankly, I'm disappointed you didn't start off with a "Hey y'all" or "Hey some y'all." Oh, I should have started off like talking like Secretary Purdue because that's who I filled in for today at my at my keynote speech, talking about farm policy and the government yeah. shutdown and whatnot. I said. I told the audience, I said, well, sorry, you were supposed to get Secretary Purdue, but I came in as a close second place. I got some laughs. Yeah. Well, good. Good. So what were your thoughts on the shutdown, Delaney? Is it a good thing? Bad thing? Where do you stand? Bad thing. Of course it's a bad thing. We don't have any, I mean, we're not anywhere close to a resolution. However, that does lead me to one key piece of news. Uh, Yesterday, yeah, yesterday, the House passed basically an appropriations bill that would give $3 billion in disaster aid to folks um, hit by the hurricane, by wildfires, etc. However, they attached what a couple of Republican senators and House members are calling a, quote, poison pill to the end of that legislation and basically tried to also attach or add language that would temporarily reopen the government and not address federal budget issues such as funding the wall. Yes, it was kind of a uh, a backdoor sneaky play mm-hmm. that made it through. Now the question is, will a similar bill make it through the Senate? No. And what will happen if something so. were to get to President Trump's desk? I mean, Mike Conaway flat out said this is not going to make it through the Senate. We're not even going to take it up. There's no way. They're not even Democrats aren't even addressing the key issues here. No, we're not going to we're not going to deal with this. We're not going to take this. Gotcha. But I do want to issue a reminder to all of our listeners. Your FSA office is open today and tomorrow. It's a very limited staff, very limited service opening. They're not taking any uh, production guarantees for MFP payments, basically. But if you have checks that are co-signed or you need the FSA signature on in order to get that money, get in there. They are willing to uh, co-sign checks today, tomorrow, and on Tuesday. So be sure you make your appointments to get into the FSA office if you're waiting on some of that cold, hard cash to get you through the month of January until they get mm. uh, more consistent hours here with the FSA offices. Yes, good idea. Good call there, Mike. And, you know, Delaney, if you're going to maybe you missed the FSA office today, you're going to need to get up bright and early tomorrow to get in there. And you're going to need coffee, or at least I need coffee in order to do that. And we've got a report out from the Royal Botanical Gardens at Kew in Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And uh, they say that more than half of the world's wild coffee species are at risk of extinction. Hmm. 
Yeah, this is terrifying. We don't know that much about these wild coffee species. Maybe one of them has more caffeine than what I'm used to with my Folgers. We need to keep these things around until we can fully research them. They say that the uh, increasing severity of pests and diseases, the loss of suitable space to grow coffee, basically urban sprawl and deforestation, are hurting uh, coffee farmers as well as climate change, causing some additional trouble for coffee growers, but they do say that there's still 100 million people producing coffee in farms around the world. We will still have caffeinated beverages for the foreseeable future, which is good news. Oh, well, I don't drink a whole lot of caffeinated beverages, but I know a lot of folks do. I know you're a coffee drinker. I am a coffee drinker. Absolutely. I like, you know, a little assistance to get me up and going in the morning. There you go. You know, a pot of coffee. Some of us just, you know, work out or do yoga, but you need coffee. Yeah, I, I need coffee. I might as well use a, a chemical if it beats the heck out of working out. Mm, there you go. That's nice. I get to sit and read my yachting magazine and sip my coffee <laughs> while you're getting all sweaty and gross uh-huh. and stinky at the gym. Yes, very true. Well, yes. to transition away from that, a lot of folks that go to the gym and do yoga also are very health conscious. And we had a new report published Wednesday. I'm going to call it a more radical group that published this report. It's from EAT or Eat Lancet Commission. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah, they are. I already urging, know about this report. They're yeah. urging, quote, a radical transformation of the global food system and are recommending that humans cut their red meat consumption and also their sugar consumption in half and eat a diet much heavier in plant-based foods. They don't specifically talk about, like, cultured meat or, um, you know, soybean burgers or bean burgers or whatever. But they're just saying, from a dietary approach, it makes more sense. We need to shift to eating more foods produced, uh, higher-quality foods produced. But they're also arguing that, in essence, um, these this red meat or protein consumption diet is affecting our carbon emissions, our... Yes, blah, 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 (laughs) blah, blah. They're pulling out some of the same old tropes. Basically, the idea behind this diet was in order to make people, quote, more sustainable. And so they're pulling out some very flawed data on the impact of animal production in order to support their mm, theories underneath this Lancet diet. The one fact that stuck out at me, Delaney, was they are encouraging you to eat, I believe it's two and a half ounces of beef once a month. That's it? That's it. It's like, yeah, hard pass on that diet. I'm going to eat more than that with breakfast. Yeah, I was going to say, I am uh, not planning on switching to a plant-based diet. I'm like, I'm it. Honestly, I joke about this, but I am a carnivore through and through. Like, I eat little to no fruit and I mean a semi-decent portion of vegetables but at the end of the day like meat is really the staple to my diet right absolutely because you're a human being right we yeah. are omnivorous and your taste buds lean you towards carnivism carnivorism <laughs> which is different than uh, of course cannibalism which we <laughs> want to avoid yeah by all means let's avoid that at least you know you know yeah who knows anyways soylent Soylent green, this people. But uh, I figured hmm. you would have some sort of little rant or rampage to go on after you, after this study. Yeah, j- just about that. It's it's basically it's a mainstreaming of several junk science articles, and there probably is 
plenty of room for people like you and I to consume more plants in our diet. I mm-hmm. think they're, you know, last night I ate a, a decent helping of broccoli. I love to eat my vegetables and my fruits. Yeah. Um, and so there probably is room for us to add more just from a health perspective. You know, I think the, mm-hmm. you know, moderation is the key to all things, as Socrates right. once said, including moderation. Um, but this this report, this Lancet report, it's basically just built upon studies that have either been discredited or withdrawn or are uh, – if they're not discredited, they're at least disputed. And there are academics on both sides of the art issues going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And Lancet just took one side. The of course. Not very balanced cattle. reporting, huh? No, no, no not at all. No. Not at all. Hashtag fake nudes, I think we would say. <laughs> That's true. I think we would say that. Well, while we're talking about fake news, we had a lot of reports that perhaps the trade delegation with China that went on this last week was positive, maybe got some things done. Well, we got a report from Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, who had mm-hmm. a meeting with Robert Lighthizer last week. He said that there was no progress on mm-hmm. key issues in last week's trade talks. Here is Grassley's quote. Lighthizer said there hasn't been any progress made in structural changes that need to be made, including intellectual property, stealing trade secrets, and putting pressure on corporations to share information with the Chinese government and industries. In spite of that, he did say that the Chinese are coming over here in a couple of weeks, which uh, we're going to, uh, Delaney has talked about before. Their trade ministry is going to be making a trip to D.C. And he said, quote, from my point of view and the point of view of, of a lot of people is that the economy of China is suffering and there is the chance for progress, end quote. So Grassley thinks that maybe we'll get something eked out here eventually. Yeah, I uh, was reading some similar news stories to you. And it sounds like Robert Lighthizer is really taking kind of a hardball approach, according to Grassley. And I had another quote um, when Grassley was asked if the U.S. would agree to any deal that China or to any deal with China that did not include substantial changes that are being demanded by the U.S. He replied and said, quote, not as long as Lighthizer is negotiating. Oh, so we're drawing a hard line in the sand with this deal. Hard line in the sand, absolutely. And actually, while we're talking China, I had a couple of other quick pieces here. I'm going to transition here and talk a little bit about African swine fever outbreak because we did see some news come out this week about that. Chinese government officials are asking pig farmers to quickly replenish their herds even in the wake of African swine fever outbreaks and continued outbreaks, the nation apparently is planning to buy more pork for its reserves, kind of in, in an effort to control inflation prices on pork and in preparation for their upcoming uh, Chinese Lunar New Year, which starts in February. In December, and this is according to one of their high-ranking officials, um, Tang Ki. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's the director of market and information for their Department of Agriculture. He said in December, national pig stocks were down about 5% lower than the previous year in 2017, and breeding sow numbers were down about 8% nationwide, and also the average weight of Chinese uh, hogs was at a record of around 273 pounds in December. So he said, you know, their pork industry hasn't seen really an inflation or an adjustment in prices, pork prices yet, but they're kind of trying to, I guess, gear up for that in uh, 
I guess, anticipation that that is coming down the pipeline and going to kind of try to control some of their market pricing structure, it sounds like. You know, it's interesting. The Chinese government asked producers to replenish their herds as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of a lot of the pork producers I know here. They're very regimented. They've got a lot of practices down pat. And these things just kind of take time for a sow to gestate and give birth and so on and so forth. It made me wonder if the Chinese government almost thought maybe you could put a little berry white on, some mood lighting with the boar and the sow and speed the process That's up nice. a little bit. Thanks for that. Well, you know, I'm just wondering. Maybe that's what they think will uh, will help them out. Maybe put a disco ball up, some mirrors on the farrowing house ceiling. I don't know how what they're thinking. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're thinking. You know, maybe yeah, we could go go into this quite a ways. Let's not. Let's save that for another (laughs) podcast. Oh well, while while you're talking pork, I do have an update from uh, Reuters. They're talking about the shift away from DDG in hog feed rations. they're saying that uh, basically we used to see DDGs making up to about 30% of hogs' rations, particularly at the mash-offs, but now they are starting to switch more to corn and soybean meal, basically because DDG prices have gotten so insane with ethanol production down as much as it is, which I thought that was interesting. Hmm, that is interesting. Makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Well, yeah. I am out of news. Delaney, do you have any other stories? Um, well, I should have... I should have uh, brought this up a little earlier, split it in when we were talking about trade aid and FSA offices being shut down. But so far, the USDA has processed $2.78 billion in direct payments since December 21st, since the shutdown happened there. And in total, there's still about four, almost $4.5 billion left to be paid out directly to farmers. So it sounds like this government shutdown definitely has some producers tripped up on either receiving payments or signing up for payments. Sounds like that's definitely going to be something that uh, we see, you know, producers maybe have some angst about here as the government continues to be shut down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of reasons to be angsty, basically. We've got uh, a lot of reasons to be emo kids here with the government shutdown and everything that's going on. That's nice. That's a good way to put that. Emo kids. Okay. Yeah. Hair over our eyes. Yeah. Great. Listening to, you know, mid-2000s emo punk. There you go. Anyways, that's all I've got for news for today, Mike. So why don't you lead us into the markets? I will do that. I hear there's a train in the background, Delaney. Are you Uh, running late? Nope. It's actually, I'm sitting on, right on the uh, river in uh, savannah and they've got actually it's really cool they've got barges with you know like big shipping containers and whatnot floating on right down by the hotel well there you go maybe some of them are full of soybeans which saw a nice rally on the day and remember folks our markets are brought to us by our friends at the zaner group get in touch with uh ted seifert brian grossman the entire team over at zaner to put your marketing plan in place and stick to it Reach out to them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com. As I mentioned, we've got some green on the grains today. March corn up six cents, finished at 380 even. The May contract up five and three quarters to close at 388 even. Soybeans, the March contract up 13 and a quarter on the day to finish at 907 and three quarters. The May up 13 to close at 921. In Chicago, wheat, the March contract up five and a quarter at 517 and three quarters. The May contract up five cents to finish at 523. Jumping over to the world of livestock, a little weakness here. We've got some red on the screen as we look at the livestock markets. 
February live cattle down 72.5 cents at 127.10. The April down 82.5 to finish at 126.90. In feeder cattle, the March contract dropped $1.7750 to close at 142.92.5. The April down $1.3250 to close at 144.22.5. Mixed trade in lean hogs, the February contract up 80 cents on the day at 60.85. The April down 45 cents to close at 64.62 and a half. Jumping over to the world of dairy in Class 3 milk, that January contract down $0.06, cents, closed at $14 even. February down $0.13 cents to finish at fourteen fourteen. For our interview today, we're going to have a conversation with Dr. Patrick Biggs from Purina. He wrote a piece about different colored eggs, and I thought it was fascinating, so we're going to have that conversation with him right now. Today we are talking eggs, specifically we're talking different colored eggs, and to help us understand this a little bit better, we are talking to a senior nutritionist from Purina, Dr. Patrick Biggs. Dr. Biggs, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. All right, thank you for having me. Now, I want to get get into eggs a little bit. I've, I've been a long-standing believer that the best chicken is a fried chicken, but they also have some value as egg layers. You wrote an article talking about the different colored eggs that chickens can lay, and I was under the impression that different shell colors came from different nutrition profiles, but that's not the case at all, is it? That's right. It's more about the genetics of the bird. What is it that causes different birds to lay different colored eggs? Well, it's really just, I guess, the genetics of the bird that kind of dictates what color shell it's going to lay. Uh, if you want to get into it, there are uh, the shell gland secretes some uh, pigments, some coloring uh, during the egg formation process. And that's how you get uh, a different colored eggshell. So why is it that when I go to the grocery store, they're all white? What What is it that makes the white eggs? Well, so I, I guess the white eggs are just a lack of pigment. So I, I guess it should start out by saying all eggshells are start out white. Uh, regardless of what the end color is, they're all white because 95% of an eggshell is calcium carbonate, which is, is white. Now, when you go to the grocery store, all of those eggs are white because uh, those are usually from commercial leghorn. Uh, you know, the white bird. And I remember foghorn leghorn. That's an old <laughs> leghorn chicken. That's uh, that's what uh, commercially that they they lay the most eggs. They're small birds. They don't eat a whole lot of feed, so they're very efficient at producing eggs, and they'll produce a whole lot of eggs uh, in the span of about two years. And so that's why you go, when you go to the store, most of those eggs are are white. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so that makes sense. It's the, the economics of the industry when you were looking at a large scale determines the, the white egg. That's the genetics that go into it. When you think of the different colored eggs that you can see throughout different breeds, what's your personal favorite? What do you think is the most interesting colored egg? Well, I, I, I'm a big fan of the blue ones just because they're, they're sort of unique. You don't see there aren't a whole lot of birds that will actually lay a blue egg. Uh, they're really a kind of a, a really light shade of blue. Uh, the Americanas, Ericanas, and Cream Leg Bars are the only three breeds of chickens that will lay um, a blue egg. Uh, Is there anything that a, a poultry grower can do to make the color stronger? 
No, that, it's really just uh, going to be the genetics of the bird. It really the the eggshell color has nothing to do with I mean the nutrition of the feed. You can't influence or change the color of the eggshell itself um, based on what you feed it. You know, we can make some changes to the inside of the egg, but the eggshell itself is always going to be the same color. Uh, there will be some differences in intensity of the color. Uh, kind of interesting the. A lot of the pigment is actually added, uh, especially for the birds that lay the brown shell eggs. You will see some variation in the shades of brown that they lay. And a lot of that has to do with the, the last thing that goes on that egg as it comes out of the chicken is the bloom. So it's a liquid layer, and actually a big chunk of the uh, pigment is actually laid on that, comes out in that bloom, that last protective layer that goes on the egg so if the egg gets kind of brushed up against something uh, some of that color can come off of it so you will see some kind of fluctuations in the intensity of some of the browns from time to time huh this is this is fascinating because you can tell i'm still hung up on the does nutrition change the color and the, the answer is no it does not that's genetics bloom notwithstanding now when you think about what's on the inside of the egg. When you're approaching this from a nutrition standpoint, obviously you want the chicken to be healthy. Does what you feed the bird change the nutritional quality of the egg if I'm eating it? Uh, no, there are some, for the most part, the answer to that question is no. There are some subtle changes that we can make uh, to the egg, to the interior qualities of it uh, nutritionally. So if you add, you know, specific omega feeds that are high in omega-3 fatty acids you can actually increase the amount of omega-3 fatty acid content of the eggs uh depending on some of the minerals vitamins and minerals if you kind of um, add some more of that you can get those into the eggs themselves and so that might increase the content of that but ultimately the the content of the the nutritional content of the egg stays pretty standard uh, because you got to remember the the purpose of an egg is to grow another chicken so um, the the hen's body is kind of designing that egg yolk and the egg white itself to, you know, nourish the embryo that's supposed to be developing inside that egg, regardless of whether there's an embryo in there or not. Uh, most of the nutrients in there don't fluctuate a whole lot because the birds need a specific amount of protein um, and, and energy to make it the 21 days from once the egg is laid to hatching. Gotcha. Which makes sense, of course. We're uh, we're laying the blueprint there for the next uh, generation. Now, you mentioned that 95% of the eggshell is calcium carbonate. How exactly does that form inside the hand? How is what's the process like to create effectively a, a round, hollow bone inside a hand? So all of that calcium that goes into those eggshells come from the bird's diet. So we need to make sure that she's getting all of that calcium, you know, carbonate in her in her diet in one way or another. Uh, and for the most part, we you know, nutritionally, it's going to be through uh, limestone, which is calcium carbonate. Uh, and we also add, uh, with our Purina feeds, we actually add oyster shell right in the feed. And that's a common thing that people will supplement to their birds because oyster shell is a great source of calcium as well for those birds. And so the birds take in, they eat the calcium in their feed, and then their body digests it, absorbs it, and transports it from, you know, the, the small intestine all the way over to the shell gland where it can then be uh, incorporated into an eggshell. So 
if they don't get enough calcium in their diet, then they're going to start drawing calcium out of some specialized bones in their body. Uh, and that if you don't give them enough calcium over a long period of time, you can actually cause uh, some fragile bones and that could lead to broken bones and other bad things that flock owners don't really want to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Now, how can you be sure as a flock owner that you're giving them enough calcium? Uh, well, for the, I mean, the first thing is to make sure that you're feeding them a complete diet, one that meets the calcium requirements of the birds. And so for a laying hen, it should be between about 35 and 4% calcium is what she's going to need in her diet on a daily basis. Uh, and chickens are surprisingly good at kind of regulating their intake and eating to meet their nutrient requirements. So if she's not getting enough calcium in her diet and she has the ability to kind of go forage for other things out and about, uh, she's going to go look for sources of calcium uh, while she's out and trying to meet that need. And that's why a lot of people will put like a, a supplemental container of oyster shell out with their birds. Uh, and that's going to provide them kind of a source of calcium if they if they need it, if they're not getting enough from their daily diet. Now, if I've got chickens that are just out wandering the yard and I've got a limestone driveway, wouldn't that count as just a big source of calcium? Uh, it would. It depends on how ground up your your gravel is. Uh, they're going to have to break that down. And, and, two, it depends a little bit on what might also be mixed in there with that. So they might get some calcium out of that, but there may be some other minerals in that in there. So I don't necessarily know that that's the best route to go. Who knows what else is on the top of that driveway. Right. Since all of my vehicles leak oil, they are going to be picking up some uh, some additional substances as well. Uh, I've got a question. You mentioned oyster shells being one of the sources of calcium. I see a lot, especially in fancy grocery stores, vegetarian-fed chickens. Does oyster shells still count as vegetarian, do you know? Uh, yeah, it still will. I, I mean, I guess it depends on how, <laughs> what your definition of it is, because it's really just the fossilized, or I guess not fossilized remains, it's just the, the leftover uh, remains of oyster shells. So I guess for the most part, the people that are supplying oyster shell to the poultry industry aren't uh, going out and specifically harvesting the oysters for the oyster shell. So it's kind of a byproduct of of the industry. That so makes sense. I think We've got all these shells. We might as well feed them to chickens. That's right. Interesting. So, Dr. Biggs, before we let you go, I know you've got a lot of things going on. If we've got listeners who are backyard flock uh, beginners, Give us your top three. How do they need to be caring for those chickens in a way that's going to uh, ensure their their laying ability for as long as possible? Uh, so I, the first thing is going to be nutrition. So we need to make sure that we're feeding them properly, feeding them a complete feed. Now, I know a lot of people want to just kind of figure they can just throw a handful of corn out there and then the chickens will give them eggs. But if you want your birds to lay eggs for you on a daily basis over the span of several years, uh, you need to make sure you're feeding them properly, getting them the protein, the energy, the calcium, all the vitamins and minerals that they need on a daily basis. So uh, providing them with a complete feed is the best way to do that. Uh, another thing is going to be looking at lighting. You need to make sure that you're lighting your birds properly, um, giving them, especially during the winter months, uh, birds will lay eggs based on day length. And so when they start to see days getting shorter, like we are now here in the winter, uh, if you provide them with 16 hours of light, 
uh, on a daily basis, that will keep them laying even throughout these kind of winter months when it's colder and that. So when the days start getting shorter in the fall, it's time to turn a light on, put it on a timer so that they don't see a decrease in day length. Uh, and then probably a third thing I would say is just make sure that you're protecting your birds from predators. I think that's probably the number one mistake first time uh, flock owners will make is they'll put their birds out in the backyard, they'll buy a fancy coop, they think they've got it protected, and then they go out there one morning and somebody decided that they, somebody beat the security system that they got out there and they <laughs> they, they come out to a, kind of a massacre of chickens. So always do what you can to keep those coops and those chickens as safe from predators as possible because you got to think even if you live in a city there are predators out there for them i mean if you put a buffet of chickens in your backyard something's going to try and get into them absolutely i think those are probably three best things everybody loves chicken nuggets whether they're on two feet or they're coming in a box somebody's going to go after them that's for sure well, Patrick Biggs, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and, and kind of shed some light on the eggs and the whole egg-laying process. If our listeners are interested in getting some more nutritional advice, do you have any recommendations for places they should turn? Uh, yeah, we can always go to PurinaMills.com. Uh, we have a, a website out there that has lots of information about feeding your chickens. Uh, if you're social media, our Facebook page, the Purina Poultry Facebook page. We have lots of uh, fun information on there. There are you know, lots of educational materials and there's fun games and things that you can participate in as well that's good for you. And if nothing else, go out and visit your uh, local Purina feed dealer. Uh, they can give you some advice as well. Fantastic. Dr. Patrick Biggs, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Nope. Well, Delaney, there's so much that goes into egg production, and it's just it's fascinating to me. I, I don't care for chickens, but I do love eggs. I do love eggs, too. And fried chicken. That's a specialty down here in Georgia. Absolutely. Got to get yourself some fried chicken. We better let you go so you can go and snack on some Georgia <laughs> seafood, some fried chicken, and some collard greens. But before we do, Delaney, if our listeners want to get caught up on past episodes, where should they go? Absolutely. You can take a look at them on iTunes. And we just kind of found out that maybe Google Play hasn't been working super well for people, so we're working on getting that fixed. However, the safest place to always listen to the Ag News Daily Podcast is at our new home, globalagnetwork.com, or you can just type in agnewsdaily.com and it'll take you straight to our new site. All of our episodes are there. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.